Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on the home of common sense. It is, of course, talk of radio. It's a case of here we go again this morning, ladies and gentlemen. The doom mongers from the NHS are already winding up their massive machine of death to issue dire warnings about a winter of misery, an explosion of COVID cases and a new variant that's going to kill thousands of people. This time it's the NHS Confederation, whoever they are, and their chief executive, Matthew Taylor, who reckons we should all be wearing face masks, working from home and staying away from each other. Why? Of course, to safeguard the NHS. I've got no clue what this particular branch of the NHS does, but you can be very sure and bet your bottom dollar that it costs billions and billions of pounds to run. There's hordes of people on the executive board. There's loads of people apparently working inside of it. And I still don't really know what it is that they actually do. As you might expect, of course, they seem obsessed with telling everyone not to get ill uh, and actually have to use the health service that we're all supposed to be so proud of. I mean, for heaven's sake, whatever you do, don't get ill. Just stop coming to the NHS. Stop asking for doctors. Stop looking for nurses. Well, I've got a message from Mr. Taylor. You stay home if you want, mate. Wear a mask while you're at it. But don't bother telling everybody else what to do. Thanks very much indeed. We have freedom in this country, and I will not, for one, give it up just because you don't want me to make a doctor have to do his job. This morning we're joined in the studio, rather uh, presciently, by Andrew Allison from the Freedom Association. I'll be asking him what he makes of these latest noises about more restrictions instead of fewer, and the ludicrous spectacle of the Coronavirus Emergency Powers Act not even going to a vote in Parliament. And also, don't get me started on this green rubbish. We'll be talking about that as well, because we keep hearing politicians saying, well, you just have to change the way you live. Really? Do you know you work for me, mate? Do you? Do you realise that? 0344 499 1000. Tonya Buxton's here as well. She's going to have plenty to say about the new fear-mongering, the ridiculous new warnings, and the new epidemic as well, uh, which isn't COVID-related, that is affecting our young people in this country. Prime Minister's Questions is back as well. We'll be bringing that in the company of our political editor, Peter Cardwell. The mood may well be more sombre than usual because of the murderous events of last Friday, but there's certainly plenty to be talking about. As ever, of course, we'll be bringing you the shortage of the day, a roundup of all the things we're being told we're running out of, but we're not really. And as usual, We'd love to hear what you're seeing and hearing out there in the big, wide world. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to be able to say that in the studio live this morning is Andrew Allison, a man that's on the show very much, often at uh, times, but first time you're in the studio. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant. Welcome to the yeah. big smoke. Well, I, well, yeah, and I can I can see this view out of Isn't the studio. It, it, it is beautiful. It's a lovely day this, uh, mm. this morning. It really, it? It really is. And really this is, is yeah. why we have such an outgoing uh, kind of attitude here at Talk Radio, because we look out on the vista that is before us and we think... This is a great country. This is a beautiful country. It's a great city. And we've got lots to be thankful for. And I'm damned uh, if I'm going to give up any of it uh, because some bloke who works for the NHS says, oh, for heaven's sake, don't come and use our services. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, I mean, I mean, last night I, I hosted a reception for Freedom Association yeah. members in Westminster. And it was the first time we'd had a proper in-person event, Mike, yes. since before the, the initial It's great, lockdown. isn't it? It's so great. And I saw so many people happy, smiling, beaming faces last night of a lot of members who, you know, who were getting on in years, yeah. people in the 70s and 80s, sure. but were just loving the fact that they were actually there mm. at an in-person event. Yes. And it was it was, it was, was just absolutely wonderful. And, and we need come, more of this. Well, this is it. And we've come such a long way. 
since the dark days of the beginning of the year. I was talking to somebody yesterday about it because we kind of forget. It was actually I was in a bar, funnily enough, strangely, <laughs> and I was talking to the to the girl behind the bar, and I said, you know, this was the last bar I was in before the first lockdown. And I remember walking out of it, and it's just across the road here, walking out of it and thinking to myself, well, you know, a couple of weeks, three weeks, would probably be all right. You know, I'll still come to work. We just won't be able to go for a drink. Oh, that'll be fine. You know, that was, you know, uh, a year ago last March. And, and I said to her, how are things? She said, oh, yeah, business is pretty much coming back to normal. And mm. people are starting to come out a lot more. And people are mingling with each other. You don't see people frightened. Not so many people wearing masks. And these bozos in the NHS want to go backwards. I know, I know. What's I, wrong with them? I, 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 I was listening to uh, or watching Julia's show this morning. And there was uh, an oncologist on there was saying, well, well, case numbers are going up. So therefore, we have to have more restrictions. But he couldn't actually give Julia an answer why there needs to be more restrictions. It's just this sort of default position, isn't yes. it, Mike? That we now have to have more restrictions. No, we could, we're all capable of making decisions for ourselves because we're all adults. Well, that's right. And also, they give you this kind of, you know, either or. So it's either we mm. restrict now or it'll be a lot worse later and we'll mm. have to have another lockdown. But I'm sorry, that's not the only two choices there are out there. No, no. And uh, I mean, last night when I first arrived at the venue, someone was telling me about a couple of people that he knew who had sadly killed themselves over the lockdown. Because they were on antidepressants presence they couldn't cope with the lockdowns yes you know and people don't talk about that it's been very hard for people it's been extremely hard for so many people it's been hard for me it's been hard for my wife and i know for many other people in my circle of friends and family mm. i cannot go back to that mike i cannot face another no winter not being able to go out for a drink no. or for a meal just be able to socialize normally yes you know visiting people's homes yeah. which of course was banned right. i mean last christmas was the first christmas i'd never had with my mother right she's 80 years old now and you don't know how many more Christmases you're going to get. I'm not wishing death on her mum if she's watching. Well, no, you don't. Well, but, I'm but, the same. But, you know, I mean, I'm going to, to America for Christmas because I haven't seen my mother, who lives there, who's 97, by the way, uh, for mm. two and a half years. Uh, and it's outrageous. And I'm sitting in the car this morning driving and listening to some of these doctors thinking, please do not even sort of hesitate to introduce the idea that you might have to have a, some kind of lockdown because, of course, they were being interviewed with one of these, you know, media types who don't care about lockdowns because they can still work from home and all that. And, and the interviewer was saying, oh, well, do you mean you might have to restrict foreign travel? Well, you better not try that one. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to America, like it or not. You know. No, good luck to you. And uh, I mean, I've got a holiday plan next year. It, it was strange because when I got my first COVID jab in March this year, I felt quite ill afterwards. Yes. And uh, yes, was, a lot of people did. And I was sitting up in bed and I was on my iPad and I thought, I'm looking for a holiday next year. And sure enough, I found a lovely gite in Normandy. Nice. Yes. a couple of weeks away. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that next year. I just hope that the French are not still with this papers, please mentality, yes. where the police can stop you and say, mm. show us proof that you've been double trapped. Right. Otherwise, that will ruin my holiday. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's, that's why I haven't been on holiday either. Mm. I mean, my, my family here have been away, but I didn't go with them because I didn't want to go through the rigmarole. I don't want to mm. wear a mask. I don't want to have to show that I've been jabbed. I don't have to, I don't want to have to, you know, be tested every five nanoseconds, you know, to make sure I haven't got COVID. Mm. I mean, whole thing's ridiculous that's the other bit about this new nhs federation confederation nonsense today is that there isn't any proof any any in any direction one that masks do any good but mm -hmm. they want to bring them back you know working from home is bad for the economy everybody knows that and most people now who were working from home have gone back to work so that would be a backward step and this nonsense about you know not mingling in in public i mean it's ridiculous I mean, you know there is no proof that any of that actually worked no there isn't uh i, I mean the whole thing to do with face masks that was it, this was a few months ago Girl, Mike, there was um, someone who was on the, uh, the, the, the the SAGE committee who said basically uh, face masks are about as effective as you know someone getting a marble in their hands yeah. and throwing it at scaffolding. Right. Now, occasionally, you know, the marble will hit the scaffolding, right. but other times it right. will just it'll just go through. Also, That's as, about as effective yeah, as they are. And, and, and almost every medical person you talk to agrees with that, except mm. for the fact that you're, if you're wearing one of those medical grade surgeon's masks yeah, of right course. but nobody's got one of those right the idea yeah. that if you put one of these little plastic blue things across your face like a little square that somehow you won't get covid there was a study that came out not long ago which said that of the people who never wore a mask only two percent of them actually caught the virus mm. so what does that tell you it tells you that they don't do any good and now neil ferguson actually is saying well we're not saying you should wear a mask in order to protect yourself we're not mm. asking you to protect others we're actually now saying you should wear a mask in order to remind yourself that COVID is still around. I mean, how ridiculous. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that's mandated through law. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just you, you just can't have that. No. Uh, um, people, no I mean, people... What do you make of these people who say things? I'm like, the Campbell was one the other day. He put out a tweet saying, you know, how hard is it exactly to wear a mask on a tube? Well, for some people, it's very hard. You know, and what's it got to do with you, mate? Well, 
I mean, when uh, when the that mass mandate continued in July, you know, when everything sort of opened up, and uh, and Sadiq Khan uh, decided oh, he was going to do the mass. Started, yeah, I know. Uh, decided to do the mass mandate. Um, I mean, I didn't bother. I just didn't bother wearing it. There's yeah. many other people who didn't bother. Right. But I saw a woman across from me yeah. who looked, I mean, it was July, Mike. I mean, it was really hot. Yeah. She looked like she was about to pass out. Right. And she had this mask over her face. Mm. Uh, I, I mean, I mean, come on. It's you unnatural. Know, it is completely unnatural. And, and quite frankly, you know, if you, if you do want to get COVID, then really, I suppose the answer is don't get all that close to anybody else. Right. But, also, uh, but a mask isn't going to make any difference. Well, do you know what? Nobody really seems to even now know exactly how it is that it gets transmitted. Because remember, at the beginning, it was all about wiping down surfaces. Now they say that doesn't make any difference. So yeah. the idea that, you know, everybody was literally cleaning everything every five nanominutes, you know, meant nothing. Uh, then there was the case where, uh, well, you could all go to a nightclub and actually nobody got it. Or, uh, you know, people were getting it only in hospitals, which is the only one place you know for sure you can get it. But it's not clear. I mean, I've, I've known people at work you know, the one the, the person at work has got it, their partner who they sleep with didn't get it. So, you know, you can be in close proximity to someone and they don't get it. It just doesn't make any sense, does it? None of, none of this makes any sense. Uh, and I've known people who've, who've been double jabbed and have got, got it quite badly. Um, I was talking to your colleague Peter Caldwell on, on Sunday yeah. in an interview and uh, he, he, he spoke of someone who's been double jabbed and she's had COVID three times. Right. Three times, still, you know, still being yeah. double jabbed. So, the, so there's no rhyme or reason I mean, to any of this. Some, I there? think there's obviously some kind of genetic predisposition, it seems to me, because some mm. people seem to have gotten it and been very ill with it. Lots mm. of people have had it and been sort of slightly ill with it. Loads more people have had it and had no effects whatsoever. Well, yeah. And I mean, I was in hospital for a procedure in, in October last year, about a year ago. And uh, a nurse was telling me about her father who's got all sorts of underlying medical conditions. Mm. He's about 95 and he needed to go to hospital for an operation. Yeah. So they did a COVID test on him. He had it. Mm. He didn't even have any symptoms. Right. And he was 95. Right. So and he, he was fine. And he was fine, yeah. 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 Amazing, absolutely amazing. Let's talk a bit about the green uh, nonsense because we've been assailed aside from, I mean, thankfully in a way, COVID was off the agenda for a while. Now mm. it's coming back again. But the only thing Boris Johnson seems obsessed with at the moment is this ridiculous green agenda. And as I say, I was listening to Meg Hillier, I think it was, talking to Julie Hartley-Brewer this morning. She's the chair of the Accounts Committee, I think. Mm -hmm. But she's a Labour politician. I, can't, I mean, I don't mind her as a politician. But she, but she was doing this thing that they all now do, which is, well, we're all going to have to learn to live a different way and we're all going to just have to change our lifestyle. And it's like, well, sorry, why? What's it got to do with you how I live? I pay my taxes. You should spend them better. Uh, but you shouldn't have be telling us as individual people. Mm -hmm. And for your, from your point of view, from the Freedom Association, mm -hmm. you know, we should have freedom to do what we want. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and, and let's be honest, the, those voters in the, the so-called Red Wall or the Blue Wall, whatever yeah. they want to call it now, in the north of England and the Midlands, did not vote for Boris Johnson for all this green crap. No. I mean, I mean it, 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 And that's exactly what it is, by and, the and, way. And, well, it, well, it, well, it, well, it is. It's total rubbish. Mm. You know, the, the UK accounts for, what, around about 1% of total global emissions? Yes. Um, you do, and, and then you've got Greta Thunberg, who's saying, well, it's, it's the UK's fault because the Industrial oh, Revolution yeah. started in the UK, so therefore, apparently, it's all our yeah. fault. And then we, everybody sort of swallows this narrative as if there's well, some truth to it. There's no truth there's to no any truth of it. To it. No, no, no truth to any of it, Mike. Uh, and, uh, you know, <sighs> Boris Johnson just seems to... He, it's, it's almost like a religious conversion yeah. for him, isn't it? Yeah. He's, he's now... The only thing he's interested in now is beating the drum. Yes. For, and, for, and, for, and the for only reason I can think that he wants to do that is because he's now been obsessed with, with for a while, as most politicians become, uh, of himself and his legacy. You know, Tony Blair wanted to leave this great legacy behind, and so he reconstructed Britain. Well, he did, didn't he? <laughs> in his own image. Unfortunately for him, the legacy didn't turn out quite as well as he wanted it to because he went and invaded Iraq. But Boris, I think they all have this kind of slight narcissistic side, don't they? in which they say, when I leave, I want people to talk about me as if I did great things. And so this is obviously his, you know, his mantra, and this is going to be his kind of, um, I don't know, Colossus of Rhodes that he wants to build, you know? Well, yeah, and, and I mean, also, I mean, Prince William with those awards at the weekend. Oh. What, what what did they describe? If you wear clothes more than once, up you are upcycling. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm upcycling this morning. Well, I, I came in yesterday and I said, you know, I, I, I apologise for wearing some socks which are actually new. Apart from that, everything else has been worn before, you know. <laughs> uh, but don't worry, I have washed. It, but, they you know. but they don't live in the real world, do they? <laughs> no. I mean, everybody wears yeah. their clothes more like, than once. Oh, well done, Kate. You've worn a dress more than once. 
Tremendous. And the last time she wore it was 2011 or something. Oh. So she's kept it. She's kept it in the wardrobe for a special occasion. Well, lucky old her. I said, if I kept something in the wardrobe that long, I'd be covered in moth, uh, moth holes, you know. <laughs> I lost all my kind of lovely set of cashmere jumpers, which all got eaten by moths, and I've had to throw them all away. But that's another story. So it says on the front of the Daily Mail, Boris's trillion pound green gown. Well, this is the other thing, right? The, the, the fears that the bill could hit more than one trillion pounds. Well, sorry. You mean that's what we're going to pay? Yes. So they're asking us to basically put heating systems into our homes, which are less efficient, cost more money in the short term, mm -hmm. and will cost more money in the long term in order to save the planet. Yeah. And all of right. this, all of this with a cost of living crisis coming up yeah. over the winter. We've got energy bills rising yep. any, anywhere. Right. We've got inflation rising. So, I mean, Boris is talking about raising the minimum wage up to £9, whatever, right. an hour. But it's well, a, bit, it's a buying, bit You, won't be, buying, a you won't be buying too many uh, heat pumps at 18 grand on £9 an hour, will you? Well, well you're not, but, but you, it's not even going to cover the cost of living rises no. that, that we've got. No. Uh, I mean, so who's going to pay for it? Well, it's going to be taxpayers are going to pay for mm. it in one way or another. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he, needs, he needs to get real. He really uh, does. I mean, this is what Julia was talking about the other day, that we need to have some form of alternative party that can actually convince, rather like uh, the Brexit party convinced David Cameron or the, uh, you know, and Nigel Farage uh, and his um, anti-EU stance convinced mm. David Cameron to have a referendum, convinced this country to get out of the EU. You know, we need something which is anti-green and anti-lockdown to convince these idiots in Downing Street that this is not the future, this is not the way to go. Yeah, and of course Nigel Farage did that without having, well, he, latterly he did get some MPs in, into Westminster, but generally he got that without a single MP. In, well, he got in, MPs in West, into, into the EU. Into, into the, did, yeah. But this is the thing, you don't necessarily need to get elected, you just no. need to be dangerous enough to some Tory marginals to say to them, mm. if, 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 this, if we split your vote, you're out. Well, I stood for the Brexit party in the Euros yeah. uh, for, for, for Yorkshire, right. uh, and I, I I knew that uh, if we if we had a really good showing, which we did, of course, as, yeah. the, as the Brexit party, um, that uh, that Theresa May would be out. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. She mm. was forced out. Yeah. So you know, I feel like I've done something useful. No, that's I'm, very good. <laughs> well, because we do, we now do live more or less in a sort of one party state. Because yeah. Labour Party useless, completely hopeless, never going to be elected in 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 my lifetime. I don't think, uh, possibly yours, because you look a bit uh, younger than I do. Um, but you know, so we need some form of opposition to this yeah. ridiculous government and its ludicrous green agenda. Well it's, well, it's not coming through from the Labour, as you say. No. I mean, Labour are not opposing well, they want anything. the same thing. They want the same thing. They're not opposing uh, the government on coronavirus uh, restrictions. Right. They're not opposing the Coronavirus Act. They're not doing anything. Right. I mean, basically, the opposition is not opposing. No. So really what's the not. point of them? Well, there is no point, in fact. An old um, uh, Starmer chameleon will be up later on because we've got Prime Minister's questions. Andrew Allison is here from the Freedom Association. It's a good day to be here uh, for the Freedom Association because our freedoms are under attack once more. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+, and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Tonya Buxton will be here. She, I'm sure, will be spitting feathers about what happened last night in Parliament. Yesterday afternoon, there was supposed to be a vote on the extension of the Coronavirus Emergency Powers Act. Andrew Ellison's here with us from the Freedom Association. Let's have a look and a listen at what happened. The question is, motion number four, as on the order paper. As many as are of that opinion say aye. Aye. Of the contrary, no. Aye. Those again. No. I'm afraid, I fear, the mood of the House is not to have a vote on this. So they all think it's hilarious that yeah. democracy has literally been stamped out. Let's not bother having a vote on it uh, because we can all pretend we're in a pantomime and boo and hiss and make funny noises. There are people whose lives have been destroyed by this, as we were saying earlier. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. You know, there's the six more months of this coronavirus act to to to, to go for until we get into March. Uh, I mean, this is having a serious effect on people's lives. Uh, as we were discussing earlier, Mike, I mean, there are some people who are getting seriously depressed yeah. with all sorts of different restrictions. Yeah. Suicide rate is up. And, and well, businesses, that, I mean, you probably know people whose businesses have been ruined. Well, I, I do. I, I, I think I mentioned to you in a previous interview, Mike, um, on the 4th of November last year, I went to a lovely French restaurant with my wife for lunch. That restaurant has never opened since then, yeah. never reopened. Right. Um, I was walking through the city centre of Hull last week, uh, and on one street, I would say at least a third of the businesses were closed. Yeah. 
I was uh, sent a picture of a place called Rickmansworth, which is sort of up uh, just on the outskirts of, 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 of London, just mm. on the sort of outer reaches of the Metropolitan Line. And the high street has got nothing open, yeah. nothing. And not least because before COVID came along, you know, the maniacs in the sort of town halls of, of our country mm. have made it impossible to park anywhere. So people don't even go to the local high street if you can't put your car anywhere. Mm. And this is what, the it's all part of the same nonsensical green agenda. Well, well it, it is. I mean, I was talking to people last night who were telling me exactly the same, Mike, that, um, you know, that I think it was someone from Hexham saying that uh, Hexham in Northumberland, yeah. that the, the basically so many shops closed in the, in, in the town mm. centre. Someone who lives in London was telling me exactly the same. So I'm getting all of this from all over the country. Yeah. People telling me exactly the same thing. Right. You know, the high streets were already struggling anyway for a variety of different mm. reasons. You've mentioned parking, yeah. there's business rates, there's the on, you know, online uh, uh, pressures. Yeah. There's all sorts of reasons why the high street was struggling. Mm. But this has really kicked them, hasn't it? Oh, it really uh, I mean, really has. And, and, and again, all the stories this morning, and we'll be touching upon this obviously next week because, you know, it's the autumn statement from Rishi Sunak. Mm. But the answer for this government seems to be, and again, front page of the Times, Britain's face higher taxes to pay for eco pledges. Well, we now face higher taxes to pay for the NHS, mm. which doesn't work. We're now asked to pay uh, more money for eco pledges, which we didn't ask them to make. Yeah. You know, where's the freedom? No freedom at all. And of course, national insurance is going up from yeah. April next year. People have got to remember that. Mm. And it's not just them as an, you know, you as an employee. You've also got the employer side going yeah. up uh, uh, as well. You've 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 got uh, corporation tax rising in a couple of years' time. Yeah. You know, and you hear the, the the prime minister and the chancellor saying, "Well, we're really low tax conservatives. Right. We don't oh, really yeah? agree with tax rises." Sure. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, All exactly. The All they're doing is, is is raising taxes at exactly the wrong time right. when the economy actually needs a turbo boost. It actually needs tax All cuts right. at the moment. So here's the sixty-four thousand dollar question, or perhaps the sixty-four billion trillion pound question. <laughs> You're the chairman of the Freedom Association. How the hell? Do we get it back? Oh God, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I mean, we, we've we've touched upon the opposition. We don't even have one. Right. Uh, um, uh, we, we've got Boris, who, who just seems to be converted to all of this now. He's he's he's, he's got this sort of missionary zeal. He's a sort of winning maniac now isn't he, he doesn't, yeah. nothing he says makes any sense nothing he does makes any sense but the thing is if the government loses its reputation for economic uh, and financial competence. Uh, which he could do, uh -huh. that's when Boris, I think, is in serious trouble. And mm. that's when Boris will will, will yeah. probably go. I mean, we all know what the Conservative Party is like. It is very ruthless in it getting rid be. of its leaders. It can it be. Can be. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and hopefully the, it for will. for me, there's not enough disquiet in it to put up uh, opposition to this stuff. Yes, but, it, but, it, but what I'm saying, Mike, is if, if things change, particularly over the winter, we, we have a cost of living crisis, taxes are rising, people are really struggling, uh, and there's a backlash from that. Um, especially if inflation really mm. continues to rise, then that is a situation where people say, well, we're not going to put up with this anymore. No. And we certainly can't afford all the green taxes. Yes. Um, It'll go back to the old Clinton phrase, wouldn't it? It's the economy, it's economy stupid. stupid. Yeah, you exactly. Know, once people yeah. start saying, we haven't got enough money, that's when think the crack starts to appear, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, Andrew, great to see you. Good to see uh, you. Thank you come for very much for coming all this way in. Uh, Andrew Allison from the uh, Freedom Association. Check it out uh, online. It's a great organisation. Uh, and we really do need it at this time because right now our freedoms have never been under attack more uh, than they currently are. By a Tory government, for heaven's sake. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Anyway, uh, let's talk now uh, to Alan Mendoza, who is, of course, executive director uh, of the Henry Jackson Society, because of the events from last Friday, the terrible events from last Friday, have called in to question an awful lot of things about the communications between the security services, the police, MI5, and everybody else, and some of these programmes which are supposed to set out to find radicalisation going on, because the man that is currently being held by the police after that murder in Essex was apparently part of a programme called Prevent. Dr. Allen, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. It's very clear, isn't it, that this is going to be an ongoing and quite difficult problem to solve, these so-called bedroom radicals. Yes, I mean, obviously, uh, as you say, the so-called bedroom radicals, they've had two years of living in their bedrooms with very little monitoring, very little understanding of what's been going on in the online space, uh, but also, frankly, within communities as well. It, it's, it remains a little unclear right now uh, if we're dealing with this particular case. So I don't want to speculate too much about the method of radicalization. And let's not forget that if we are dealing with this particular suspect, he had uh, referrals many, many years ago 
two government programmes. So clearly this is not a new case of radicalisation that occurred in two in the last two years. It is something that's been bubbling in his case for a long, long time. Yes, and certainly most of the people, I said this the other day, uh, who have been found to have been involved in these terrorist attacks, these so-called lone wolf attacks that we've been hearing so much about, um, have always been on the radar at some point or other, haven't they? Yes, and this is, of course, one of the great uh, issues, I think, that is, uh, again, coming to stark relief from this case. We have people who are referred onto programmes, and for whatever reason, um, they're either not taken forward or de or rerouting them is not working. So there has to be, I think, a comprehensive look at what is going on in terms of our um, you know, prevention of extremism and terrorism programmes. Mm. Why it might be the case that people are not being referred properly or being uh, taken up by them, um, and indeed the content of them and how this is perhaps leading to, to failures or, or in some cases, of course, success. We need to understand that a bit better based on what we know so far about mm. this case. And you've looked into this uh, organisation, Prevent, and the programme itself the Henry Jackson Society and you found it to be wanting uh, rather severely in some areas and also like um, many things in our society these days it's been sort of hobbled in some way by sort of political correctness. Well exactly I think the the essential part is that we understand that uh, the Prevent Channel programmes the other programmes as part of this whole um, setup um, in theory do work if you were to follow them properly but they appear to have been, as you say, hobbled by a mixture of political correctness and in some cases downright malevolence mm. from people determined to stop them from succeeding. And when you take those factors together, when you look at the bureaucracy involved and how referrals are made, number one, how they're then uh, pushed forward, and then again the opposition of some groups in society, particularly some leaders in the Muslim community and some on the political left who erroneously claim these are discriminatory uh, programmes uh, and, and should be scrapped, right. you begin to form a picture that are these programmes being allowed to do their job properly or are they being hindered? Yes. And is there an issue as well in our country? And I know we're talking, funnily enough, today about freedom. Freedom of speech is very important. People talk about it all the time. You know, we're now having a, an argument in the wake of, uh, of the assassination, if you like, of, of, of Sir David Amos, um, of whether or not the toxicity of debate in this country has somehow caused it. And I, I'm not one of those who, who goes along with that. This is a separate incident as far as I'm concerned. But are we also guilty, perhaps, of allowing too much hate speech from people like uh, Islamic fundamentalists, people who are allowed to make horrible pronouncements, whether it's online or whether it's in person, whether it's in mosques, you know, we don't seem to to have a problem with letting people say some of the most ghastly things and threaten things. Um, and nothing seems to happen about it. Here's a great point, Mark. I, firstly, I absolutely agree with you that this is, there, there are two separate issues going on here, that this whole climate of debate issue has had nothing to do, it would appear, with this murder, which was no. carried out by an ideological uh, hater, basically. Right. It wouldn't have mattered if the climate was peace and love. Right. Um, that wouldn't have affected this uh, this sort of um, a terrible action. However, your, your more general point is, I think what we're doing is we're living in an age when um, extremists have access to the widest possible audiences mm. they've ever had in human history. Um, and we're not catching up with the fact that that's been allowed to happen. So say, go back 20 years. If you were an extremist preacher 20 years ago, you were going to be speaking to a small group of people and there was no ability to get your material out beyond where you were. You didn't have the internet. Mm. You didn't have easily accessible video. I mean, can you imagine lugging VHS tapes around, yeah. you know, things? Um, you, well, even you, you know, cameras, you, might... you needed sort of three people to carry them, you know. Precisely, all the all these things that made it very... But in the last 20 years, there's been a communications revolution. Mm. And what that has enabled uh, uh, extremists is that they have been able to utilise current medium to mass broadcast their material. And we as societies have not caught up with that fact. And we've been allowing them to do it. We haven't put the proper safeguards in place. As you say, the boundary of what is hate speech versus free speech needs to be looked at mm. again. Because it's quite manifestly obvious that if there are people in this country preaching death to this country, that is hate speech and should not be mm. allowed. And, that you know, they, if they want to say it, it's fine, but they should not be able to broadcast no, it. No, because surely, surely as well, I mean, we're often told this, that we don't need to bring necessarily new laws in because we already have laws that cover it you know breach of the peace uh, or you know um, uh, behavior likely to cause a breach of the peace as far as i know is still an offense you know if you're inciting people to violence or if you're inciting people to kill other people that that's surely against the law isn't it 
Well, precisely. And you obviously have uh, rules such as incitement to terrorism. Um, but in practice, it's been very difficult to bring prosecutions in this regard. Mm. And I think what you have to do is encourage um, that, you know, change the bar on prosecuting these cases to make it much easier to use, as you say, current legislation uh, in order to uh, drive a safer agenda for social cohesion and national unity in this country. Mm. And clearly, there are people out there who, as you say, are fostering hatred, division, which could easily lead to breach of the peace or much worse then there are already um, you know, ways to bring them to book. And we need to be much more confident as a country about pursuing these people and using the awesome power of the state for once for good by driving uh, these people to the sidelines and beyond. Yes. And in your report, which looks at the relationships between the police and MI5 and, and who gets referred where and all of that, I mean, do you suspect or, or do, you, do you know whether or not those institutions, which are institutions of law, uh, are in fact just a bit too lily-livered to take this on? You know, are they worried about being accused of racism? Are they concerned that, you know, all they do is concentrate on, uh, you know, Islamic fundamentalists? So now suddenly we put some money over here and we'll say we've got a big problem with right-wing extremism. And the number of times you hear on the news, oh, you know, right-wing extremism is on the rise. Well, not in my world it isn't. Yeah, look, I mean, it's an interesting case in point. Is there an increase in far-right extremism? There probably is, actually, Mike, if you if you think about it. But is it the main threat uh, of extremism in this well, country? Well, I haven't seen too Absolutely many right-wing extremists running around stabbing people to death. Have you? Ah, but there's there have been terror cases. There have been plots. Not many, but there have been. So I don't want to don't want to for a moment suggest there's no threat from that quarter. But when you look at the resourcing and when you look at the um, cases being put forward today. It doesn't match who is on the terror list. If you look, you know, the, the estimates are that probably 90%, around 90% of people on the terror watch list of over 40,000 people are radical Muslims. Right. Now that tells you that if you have a disconnect between that figure and the people being referred onto the programmes, which there is, where you've got the far right in far greater numbers now being referred to the channel programme, for example, the radical Muslims, you know that something's going wrong down the line. Mm. And clearly over the past few years, there's been a drive, a political correctness drive, and a and this ever-present Islamophobia charge that's hurled about anyone who wants to ask questions about people um, attacking others in the name of their religion. Um, when you put those together, you realise a chilling effect has quite clearly occurred in people's willingness to refer those cases up the chain because people are you know understandably worried about being called racist but it isn't racist mike to try and stop terrorism in this country and it isn't racist to point out that there's a particular problem with radical islam mm. as a conduit for this just as there are other problems in other sets but you have to look at the numbers here and go this is a major problem for for this country well that's right i mean the attack in norway for example was carried out by an islamic fundamentalist who happened to be white he happened to be norwegian he happened to have decided to convert to islam and become a terrorist. Now, how could that in any possible way, shape or form be considered to be a racist thing to uh, point out? Well, exactly. But here you have a confluence now of racism when it suits to anti-religious issues when it suits and any charge, which is why, of right. course, this whole argument about Islamophobia being the correct term is is, is nonsense. Mm. It isn't a correct term. The correct term is anti-Muslim hatred if you want to look at racism towards people who happen to be Muslims or religious hatred right. of that regard. And Islamophobia is a problem because, of course, it ties in anyone who says bad things about radical and extreme forms of Islam deemed to be an anti-Islamic issue. It's not. The reality is that Islam itself is under, uh, you know, kind of constant uh, turmoil between different wings within it, different interpretations. And you can know, you know, if you, if you say you can't criticise any of them, then you have a huge problem in terms of tackling the terrorist element at the very extreme end right. who take very extreme interpretations. Well, exactly. I mean, one of the places that has the most anti-Muslim feeling in the entire world is India. But nobody ever accuses the Indian population of being racist towards Muslims, do they? Well, actually, you'll, you'll find that uh, uh, many... Uh, of the people who drive the Islamophobia charge do claim this and will say this in that regard. And again, in, in some cases, there may well be racism occurring or anti-religious feeling occurring. And we can't you know, deny that there isn't prejudice against Muslims, but that doesn't equate to not being able to criticize radical Muslims who are uh, committing acts of violence or acts of extremism in the name all of over the, And all over religion. the world, by the way. 
Yes, which is what they see as their religion. Yeah. Now, that religion will not be shared, but, or that interpretation, I should say, will not be shared by the vast majority of Muslims around the world. Mm. And yet, though, it is a legitimate form of interpretation because there is no, if you like, clearinghouse of views within Islam that says this is the authentic version. And that is the problem. You face conflicting interpretations, and that's why you have people who will be able to hew to these extreme cases and go, actually, this is Islam. Yes, and because of this kind of tippy-toe approach, it actually makes things worse because people who want to have a proper debate and want to have a conversation uh, and do not wish to tar every single person who happens to be a Muslim with the terrorism brush you know, we don't actually get to do that because we don't get to talk about it. We're not allowed to say anything. You can't say uh, that most actual, uh, you know, terrorist attacks in the world are carried out by Muslim fundamentalists. That's just a fact, right? It doesn't mean that all Muslims are terrorists. It doesn't mean that they're all bad people. And we need to get that out there. Well, here's the whole point. You need to be able to have a nuanced, serious and adult conversation about um, religion, number one, about interpretations of religion and, you know, kind of any attempt to blanket either way, saying either Islam is a religion of war, Islam is a religion of peace, is doomed to failure because you will constantly have examples to the contrary that will, you know, jar with the conscience. The reality is like any textual religion, Islam is open to interpretation. And if we're not able to discuss those interpretations, debate them, and then show how some of those interpretations lead to terrorism, then you have a massive problem in terms of tackling that issue. You're just denying the problem full stop. It also, by the way, hurts the moderate wing of Islam massively to not be able to talk about this because they are then uh, seen to be within the communities not being able to carry out what they want to do mm. because extremists are gain, gain strength from not being questioned. What you want, of course, is for everyone to be questioning the extremists so that the moderates gain the upper hand. Well, exactly right. And that's precisely where we should be aiming. Dr. Alan Mendoza, always a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, he's the executive director of the Henry Jackson Society, which, surprise, surprise, uh, has done a report uh, into Prevent, the organisation that was supposed to be uh, keeping an eye uh, on Muslim fundamentalists and people who were likely to commit terrorist attacks. Guess what? It's got a bit woke. Doesn't work very well. How surprising is that? Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Well, I didn't really expect to say all that. You never know what I'm going to say. I, Even I know. never know what I'm going to say. But, you know, <laughs> it is a bizarre day, isn't it? Because you wake up in the morning, you look out the window, the rain is gone, the skies are blue, it looks Beautiful. fantastic. Beautiful day. And these maniacs are now trying to drag us all back into the pit of death. They've learnt nothing, Mike. Haven't They've they? learnt nothing, Mike. The, the thing that's really happened to this country in the past two years, the worst thing that's happened is the mental health tsunami. Yeah. We know this. Yeah. From... from children who are two and a half right up into um, old age people um, the anxiety and the mental health is the worst thing that yeah. has happened and we will see ram be seeing ramifications for this for decades to come andrew allison was um, here this morning right mm -hmm. he's a businessman lives in the northeast of england runs the freedom association he says he has two good friends who have committed suicide in yes. the past year yeah and there, there, are, there are many young people who committed suicide over lockdown. Um, it's, and we still haven't seen the numbers for that yet. There's a delay in releasing these figures, mm. so we can't even discuss it. So a lot of the mothers who lost their children over lockdown haven't had any voice. They've, they've no. had no one to be able to speak to because the media is suppressing it. Mm. And there is so much going on. But the point is, is that no lessons have been learned. No. I mean, we are an intelligent nation. Why are we not learning the lessons that... We suffered over lockdown, yeah. everything that happened. And yet you switch on the... I, I, I made the mistake of putting the BBC on today. I'm that sorry about that. That was a mistake, yes. I'm very sorry about that. There was a professor from a Bristol University there who was bleating on about, I'm sorry, the vaccines are not going to do it. You're going to have to wear masks. You have to social distance. You'll have to lock down. No, right. absolutely not. Categorically exactly not. not. But also, I mean, almost every medical person now has admitted that aside from the actual surgical masks that people wear in operating theatres... And have never been touched. Bear in mind, right. they, they get put on, they ordinary, don't get touched. Ordinary masks, like the blue ones that people wear, are worthless. They've admitted it. Mike, we've known that for a long yeah. time. You know how I feel about masks. And the main thing is for me is because I'm really... I am not a green agenda person. I want I want to do best by the planet. Don't worry, I, we've got enough of them. But, I, but there's enough of those going on, and I'm not willing to... Um, pay higher taxes and do all these things and make my children suffer, never be able to get home. When when 
kind of China and Brazil and India are doing nothing right. to do anything. And Quite we the two, reverse. British, to, to, our British kind of uh, emissions are 2% of mm. the global emissions. So yeah. stop it. But right. what we can do as a nation is stop um, just all the plastics that are going into, you know, the pollution, yeah. that pollution can easily be mm -hmm. stopped. And masks are the, one of the greatest pollutants yeah, now. Yeah, of course. Two billion masks in well, the I sea. Well, imagine, there were no such things no. even two years ago. Absolutely. I know? never come anywhere. I never walk anywhere now. I don't walk out of my door and go to the tube station or go to, to the, the Real Greeks or, or anywhere without seeing masks on the floor. Right. Litter on the floor. Yeah. So that's there. I see, I'm the same. Yeah. Every single day. So enough of that. Surely that's a bit germy, isn't it? Oh, I mean, if, if they are actually holding a virus, if they are doing anything for a virus, right. surely we'd have toxic waste bins to yeah, put them in. To, exactly. to the, or wouldn't you have people in sort of hazmat suits going around picking them all up? Absolutely. And is going, it, you know, danger, danger, we'll have to close the street off, somebody's dropped a mask. It's theatre. It's theatre and it's control theatre. Yes. And I refuse to be controlled and I, I refuse for them to keep keeping this control on my children either. Yeah. They, they, we are, the British people, the British nation is independent thinkers and we will not be controlled controlled in this way no. we will not be told something that we know I mean one of the reasons I will never ever put a mask on again is because I know I have read every single report about masks mm. Mike I mean I made it my job so no I'm not a virologist and immunologist for all of those of you that will be tweeting in to say that but I have read every yeah. single paper neither's the bloke in charge of the NHS Confederation by the way he's a former councillor he's a politician thank you he has no knowledge of virology I bet he hasn't as read, read as many reports as Probably I have hasn't. about masks no. I, I'm pretty sure he hasn't because there there is not a single one I've read. Yeah. And the conclusion is they do nothing. Yes. They do absolutely nothing. These homemade fashionable ones that you get to go with your dress and yes. to go with your suit, they are just germ-ridden right. rubbish. Yeah. They do nothing. And they, they are so those. well Didn't stitched. Didn't they admit yeah. about those that if you wash them more than about five times, you should throw them away? Absolutely. Which people don't do. No, of course they don't do. They just don't wash them at all. Ooh. They just put them in their bag and out again. Anyway, uh. so that it's just wrong. So it, it really goes, any intelligent person who wears a mask, mm. surely it goes against their kind of sense of self-being to mm. put something across their mouth and their nose that they know does nothing right. apart from control. Yes. I can't do it. Mentally, I can't no. do it. I, I cannot do it. No. And then you get people, I mentioned this earlier, by the way, I'm going to play out in a moment we because I just it, want yeah. to alert the guys there the, 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 the what happened in Parliament yesterday uh, because we want to hear that again um, because it was an sh absolute shambles. But, but, you know, Alistair Campbell puts out a tweet the other day saying, What's the big deal about wearing a mask on the tube? Why can't you do it? And there's this whole kind of coterie of media people, mm. of which I include him, who talk about, you know, well, it's obvious why we've got the highest rate of COVID in Europe, because I've just been to Germany and people wear masks on the trains. That's not the reason. That's absolutely not. You the know, reason. and it's really ignorant to push that as some kind Just of reason. Stop testing. Yeah. And stop the plastics with the testing. I was going to keep going back to plastics all the time, Mike, because I'm I'm sick to death of the mm. amount of plastics we're using. Yeah, I know. And so, you know, it's just stop the testing. Mm. And if you're unwell, go and get tested. Get then. tested. Exactly. That's the only time. Now let's have a listen and a watch of what happened yesterday in Parliament. The question is motion number four, as on the order paper. As many as are of that opinion say aye. Aye. Of the contrary, no. Aye. Aye. Could I have the no's again? No. I'm afraid, I fear, the mood of the House is not to have a vote on this. <laughs> They're all laughing. Right? Ha ha ha! Oh, so funny, Mike. What are they laughing at? We're not in at? the mood. These are Mike. all the people, right, who have had no interruption to their money, mm -hmm. to their expenses. Amazingly, their expenses haven't gone down, even though they haven't gone anywhere. Yeah, that's for a year. I, and a half. I want a real Isn't that critical eye put on right? that. Yeah, absolutely disgusting behaviour. And how on earth is it possible for the supposed mother of parliaments? to just decide not to bother voting on something. Not in the mood. How about we don't bother having any more elections? Maybe just keep Boris Johnson forever. No, I, I, I'd like to not bother paying their wages because they're not bothering to do the job that right. they were elected for. I was, And what sickened me about that this morning is mm. that if you pick up all the newspapers... No one's talking about that. That mm. should have been fr headline news, yeah. front page headline news, that, that this is what happened in Parliament. Ha, ha, ha. We're not in the mood. Yeah. We're not in the mood to vote about Listen, your freedoms we'll and the way powers. you live your we'll lives. We'll keep these powers because, you know, we'll tell you what, what we're going to do with them. But, right? Mike, we were talking about this earlier. Surely it means if they're not in the mood to vote, that's the end of it. 
Well, I'm going to say that now. This is my view. Um, and you can challenge me illegally if you wish. If they have not renewed the coronavirus emergency powers, then they're not renewed. Therefore, they no longer exist. But Therefore, uh, they don't have them anymore. They don't have them anymore. And I completely agree with you. If mm. they can't be bothered and not in the mood, ha, 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 don't forget the ha, ha, ha at the end of it, then we're not going to bother with this. And anyway, we should never have bothered with it to start with. No. If we had said no from the beginning, if we had only not been the kind of... Because the thing is, the British public, they're really good people. We're good people. We want to do the right thing. But if we had not been coerced and blackmailed and all this nudging mm. and propaganda and just stood tall and said, no, let's think about a virus, how it works, what to do, and, yeah. and did what the Great da Barrington Declaration yeah. told us to do, mm. we would have none of this. And we would well, have none of the collateral damage. The collateral damage, I feel it punching me in the head every single day yeah. because there's, there's someone that I know that's lost their job. I know people that have lost their businesses. I know that people that are sick. I know every single the day the collateral damage, the, the kids that are upset and who will be damaged for years to come. Mm. So for me, the collateral damage has been far, far greater than any, any damage done by COVID. Oh, I think so. Well, Julia had a guy on this morning, a uh, professor who was obviously pushing the whole kind of, you know, we must be more careful we must be make, make sure we can avoid another lockdown because that's now the mantra is oh we should take more precautions now so that we don't have to put more restrictions on later well no that's not true mm -mm. she read off a list of countries some of which had mass mandates some of which didn't some of which had high case numbers some of which didn't the point of her of her uh, statistics were that there is no clear pattern about anything right it's a virus but right. in sweden and in denmark um They've basically gone back to normal. Yep. They didn't lock down in the same way that we mm -hmm. did. Um, they haven't got any worse challenges. You can now get on a, an SAS plane, you know, the Scandinavian airline. They don't want me to wear a mask anymore. So, you know, there's no absolute about this. There's there, no there, there reason to say you have to wear a mask when you get on a plane. The absolute is none of these measures work against a virus. And none of these measures work against an airborne virus. Yeah. The only thing that you can do is really try and safeguard those that are vulnerable. And unless something's changed, the the average age of death is still it's gone up, hasn't it, to eighty two now? Yes. Yes. Well, it so, was always eighty two, I think, but it's, it think certainly hasn't gone down. It, so it's eighty two. Yeah. So let's just take that figure and remember it. Right. So when you're locking down children with abusive parents and wives and with abusive husbands yeah. and, and in areas where people are really suffering because they need to get out of that right. place and they need to work, they need to earn their money. Bear in mind that the average age is still eighty two. Yeah. And that means vulnerable. that an awful lot of people actually are over eighty two. So yes. the people, and many of the people dying are probably 90. Absolutely. You know. But equally, um, there are younger people who die for various different reasons. I, I completely agree with that, but it's not as but it's, it's not as large as the number that the younger people that are dying are, are from the collateral. No. You know, I know people right. that ha have are very unwell and uh, we've lost mm. because of the collateral damage of the way we reacted to this virus. I've spoken to at lockdown. least four people, right? who have told me that they've now been diagnosed, uh, as one of your relatives has, mm -hmm. with cancer, and they would have been diagnosed much earlier if it wasn't for the, for the COVID madness, right? Yes. Um, and now they don't have such a good-looking outcome because it's too late. This is the thing about it all, and the thing is it continues. I mean, we've got to draw the line. We have to stop this now. We must return to normal living. Yeah. This is what everybody needs to do. Yeah. But unfortunately, I come across people every day who say, oh, look at you, you're just blasé about people dying. I am not no blasé about people dying. Not. But what I'm worried about is I see what's coming. I see by continuing these measures and continuing what you're doing, the damage that's about to continue continue in the lockdown mm. these measures what they do right. we've but people have been so brainwashed and i understand why because there was such a catalog of brainwashing mm. going on that normal people who i always sort of were clever and bright have been frightened yeah. into behaving in a way and following rules that they in their gut must know a role they must i mean look at what's going to happen in glasgow in a couple of weeks time right cop 26 all these people are flying in from all over the world uh, do you require a test no no oh do you need to quarantine no. Are you coming from a country that might be considered to be dangerous? Well, don't worry about that. That's fine. Because no, you're coming for a conference about climate change. One of the things that we talk about every single mm. week, Mike, is the disgusting hypocrisy. I, I mean, I, I, one of the things I couldn't do when I was... I've got to this grand old age, but even when I was really young, as I couldn't cope with hypocrisy. No. I mean, I, I, I can't do it, and my conscience won't allow me, and I could never stomach people that were hypocrites. Mm. They were the worst type yes, of people as far absolutely. as I'm concerned. And we are governed by hypocrites. Mm. Every single rule maker that made these rules during lockdown has broken the rules. Right. So it doesn't matter whether it's Cummings or whether it's Boris, they've all broken the rules, they've all done exactly as they please. Yeah. And 
how are people still listening to them? I know. How is this happening? Yeah. How are we? Why are you listening? Stand up. Everyone needs to stand up. Say enough is enough. Yeah. I'm well, going to do what's right feel, by me. I, I do feel as though my life has re- more or less returned to normal. I mean, I have yet to make that flight to America, but I'm going to uh, mm-hmm. in, uh, in, in uh, later on in December. And, you know, that's the final kind of piece of the jigsaw for me. But, I mean, I have not worn a mask. Uh, I will not wear a mask. I will not be told to wear a mask. You know, I will not be tested. There's nothing wrong with me. If I don't feel well, I might be tested. But, you know, I'm not, I've never been tested. I agree with you because you're very strong-minded mm. and you um, can sift through the rubbish, as it were. But unfortunately, a huge campaign has been done on us. It has been mm. done on us. You know, children, teachers, um, doctors. I, I don't think that they're all terrible people and that's why they don't want to go back into the classroom that's why they don't want to see face-to-face people i just think they've been really frightened yeah. so we need a, a, a campaign of undoing mm. undoing the fear to yeah. go back to normal to be yeah. being you know that stiff upper lip british strong also, nation that we stop, are for heaven's sake with this nonsensical um death toll every bloody oh, day oh and that? today you know 200 people died of covid well you know 1400 people died of something else when you read that out that's the point. Right? And, and that's my point. That is exactly the point. That continues the fear. Mm. That that must stop. Who is allowing it to continue? Yeah, Who I don't is know. Ex- making this continue? I don't know. Why is it read on the news? Mm. Why? I, that I mean, I should stop. know because I work at an organisation that produces news. But I can't tell the answer to that. Because if I was running the news department, which I don't, uh, I've already had a couple of rows with them. Um, uh, basically, I'd tell them not to do it. Yeah, say, I, 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 I mean, it'd be great. I think it'd be great if you stopped, if this was the first place that stopped doing that. That would be fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I would cheer for I'll that. I'll see what I can do. I Thank mean, we you. don't do it every day in no, the old table, which is good, but it's still, every time it crops up, I just go, what are you doing? That's what I think. I think, well, how Why? many people died of heart disease? Excuse me, yeah. how many people are dying of cancer? Why don't you I give us get, a daily a report of how many people died of a drug overdose? Thank you. Right, or got knocked over by a car. But we don't need to have this information on news every day. It's we not don't news. need to have it. It is not news. We know how many people People die a day in Britain. Right. It's not news, but but by taking that one sum out and feeding you it yeah. adds to the Maybe fear. Maybe I'd rather have a, a figure of how many people were born today. How that would that? be lovely. Why don't we do that? Yeah. You know, today have that there instead. were 55 people were born. One I of them uh, was born in Leeds. Great. That's no, that's happy news, isn't it? I think that's that would Let's be much that. nicer. But the I'll thing, have a word. One of the things <laughs> that was in the papers today is that uh, Michael Gove got um, harangued he the did. other day. I'm not a fan of that sort of thing. I'm not a fan of that sort of thing at all. I think it's really wrong. I don't think that... Uh, people should be in fear at all but i do think that if you put laws into action that are not good for the people and then you go and do what you like that maybe someone might shout at you and say something isn't that what democracy is about now there's a fine line after what happened. yeah i think intimidation to, to, is is not ever a good thing intimidation is not a good thing but you you know if but you, i know people's you feelings have to, you are have to stand up and yeah. take if you've decided to make this rule you know if, if someone comes up and screams the head off at boris because he had mates around at christmas when everybody else didn't see yeah. even see their family mm. i mean i've been reading stories of a widower who lost his wife yeah. um over christmas last year and didn't go and see his children because he was obeying the rules he was mm. on his own a lot of people had christmas alone because they they thought it was but the Car- right thing but to do. Had her mate. Yeah, I mean, although to be fair, I mean, and again, hypocrisy is the question here. Um, That's what I'm saying. Hypocrisy there are, is I mean, the question number here. Number ten say they didn't break any rules because if you have a young child, you're allowed to have somebody come look after them. But it's, but, but who was working on Christmas Day? You have someone working looking after your child yeah. when you are at work. Well, I Were they you at could work on Christmas My, Day? I, I really, I honestly don't care as far as that's concerned. Um, because I'm not one of those people that is a sheep. And no. if you tell me I can't do something, there's a pretty good chance I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Right? Um, and I think that's a, quite a few people who did Christmas the oh, way yeah. they were always going to do Christmas. Absolutely. You know? and, and guess so they what? Should. You yeah. know, not any more people got sick. No. Do you know what I mean? But that's not the point here, I, I, I know that's what you're saying. That's not the point. And I agree with you. The logistics of what they're saying and the fact that they're not standing up and saying, actually, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, just... Be manly. Yeah. Be honest. Just Say, be honest. I'm sorry. Well, I think... Yes, um, you know, carry one fair, with her mate. And so we had to... Don't yeah. tell me that she was there for childcare because that's just rubbish. I'm because... more concerned that her mate is working for the government. I'm more concerned about the fact that she's probably on the public payroll because she's her mate. That's more worrying to well, me than the a fact lot that she pops that going on. I mean, you know, I'm of Greek origin, yeah. okay? And so that goes on a lot. But, you know, domeso, as we call it in Greek. But, you know, I thought in Britain that didn't occur. Oh, my goodness. Have these past two years opened my eyes? Yeah. And I have not... to say, um, asking Boris Johnson to be honest is a bit like uh, asking the Hunchback in Notre Dame to stand up straight, as somebody <laughs> once used to say. Because it's not really... It is, it is, just... it is a wagon house, is it? But what does that say about us? as a, a people that voted this man in who lies to us all the time. 
Well, that's I, what worries me about what it says about I us. Unfortunately, I think you can't be a successful politician, really, at that sort of level, unless you're prepared to sacrifice the odd truth. But there... Mm, do you think that's true? Yeah. I, that, that really saddens me. I because do. Because I am quite naive in that sense. I mean, we saw really some wonderful um, tributes to Sir David Amos at yeah. the weekend. Because he, he was died. clearly... No, he was clearly a magnificent exactly. constituency MP. He helped yeah. everybody. Yeah. Nobody had a bad word to say about him. But he's a backbench MP, right? And there's a reason for that. So anybody who, who kind of goes up the greasy pole, as it were, I think has if you go lie. up the greasy pole, you have to make compromises. I mean, it may be lying is the wrong word, but you have to compromise. You have to have probably a set of principles that you abandon, if you have any, because, you know, it's all about making deals. And if you make deals, the only way to make successful deals is to have no principles. Gosh, that... That's actually broken my heart now. Say, tell me something funny and nice now before I leave you, because I'll be too sad to leave on that. No, you can't be sad. <laughs> I can't take you can't that. Be sad. That would that that distresses me a lot because I do believe there must be people that rise to power purely because they want to do good to people. I think that's how it starts. I think that's true, and I think there are good people who want it to do good, but I think it's a corrupt system, and the system then corrupts them. I think. Oh, that's very disappointing. I'm not going. I'm not going to. I'm, I'm deep, not going to have that. That's too deep for me, Mike. And right. I'm not going to hold on. To, I'm going to hold on to. There will be people that end up governing that have just altruistic reasons because they want to do good to people. There's got to be. Yes. I do think there needs to be a shift. I think in there what's are plenty of good politicians. Don't get me wrong. There are plenty of good politicians, and Sir David Amos was clearly one of them. Absolutely. And I will not tar all MPs with 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 the brush of corruption. However, I just think power unfortunately corrupts and, but and that's but that's where we need to look at the system yeah. don't we we really need to look at where is the corruption and where where someone has conflict yeah. conflict have to be completely ruled out you cannot have conflict if you are governing right. and that's the thing that has been shown to happen again and again and mm. again and even when we see it even when we see people are giving jobs to their mates or giving contracts to their mates those people aren't kicked out straight away no and if you're if you're well look at matt hancock i mean the exactly thing about all matt, the jobs the he thing about out. matt hancock and he well here's something that will cheer you up he made it onto the list for plank of the week this week How about oh that? You know. Is he not there every week, Mike? Uh, well, he hasn't been there for a while. But actually, the funny thing is, right, that the, the thing that we didn't get to mention on Plank of the Week yesterday was what surprised me was when he made this announcement that he had this new job, which he clearly didn't have, right? This was his version of getting a job. He basically went, if I put this tweet out saying I've got the job, they'll have to give it to me, right? All the people in the cabinet that congratulated him because they clearly wanted him back. They all said, this proves Matt Hancock is such a great operator. This is why we want him back in the front line. How embarrassing, right? And, and what tools did he have for that job anyway? That's what makes me laugh. You're going to pick a job out of a hat. What right. made you think that you're all right for that one? Yeah, what skills can you offer, yes. Matt? I mean, honestly, not a good one for him. Now, I know you wanted to talk about clubbing. and uh, Yes, I'm very concerned about, so what's going about on. That. So what's going on in Nottingham at the moment is that some women are finding that they're being... And it's different to um, spiking drinks. Mm. Because, you know, when my daughters have gone out, I've always said, you know, keep your hand over your drink yeah. or you know ha have a bottle keep a straw yeah. don't let anybody anywhere near your drink right. so that's but, but what's happening now is they're being injected no that's what's been happening they're being spiked by injection there's been what, so w girls are being injected with needles you mean yes wow. so they're feeling a kind of scratch or a stab or something Goodness. and kind of rubbing their leg you know when it's a crowded club mm. you don't really notice what's going on right. and then later they're either collapsing feeling very sick Goodness there's gracious. one young girl in the papers today who said that she has absolutely no memory of what happened wow. to her but luckily i think all so far the people that have come forward and said they felt this spiking mm. and they're calling it kind of spiking people yeah. um, have all been with good groups of friends uh. who've made sure that the girls have got home but that's really worrying yeah, that, that is, is really really worrying that someone's terrifying. injecting you with something that's yeah. going to make you not be because conscious. who knows what it is and how dangerous it might be as well right? well exactly and who knows if you're not surrounded by good friends what will i guess the to answer you? is to make sure you're always with a group of people i think that isn't that unfortunate but i think that's really important yeah. that when especially when girls go out um you know i'm so concerned about when my sons go out about knife crime yeah. and then when the girls go out about things like this going on right. to make sure that you've got a really you've got set rules right. girls go together and maybe there should be stronger stop and searches before you go into clubs before you go in yeah absolutely i think that would be really important yeah. to have done because that, that is really worrying me yes and that will be a trend as well it'll be happening elsewhere i'm sure exactly yeah. exactly well listen tony i'm sorry i made you sad you're smiling now so <laughs> hopefully i won't be leaving you sad uh tony buxton um wonderful woman author activist it says there author and activist that's what you are now that's what i am now and chef of course of and course. you know genius and all the sorts of things anyway um <laughs> she'll be back next week the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio 
And we're about to speak about money once again. But before we speak about money with Graham Littlejohn uh, from the Scotch Whiskey Association, let me just tell you this. I'm going to update you on the BBC logo scandal. You might have heard me talking about that uh, just under an hour ago. Um, I gave what can only be described as unusually for me, a very conservative figure for how much the logo change is going to be. Around about a million or two, I said. Now, since then, I've had some inside information from a branding expert who has assured me that under no circumstances would this change of logo cost anything less to the BBC than about 20 million. And I'll tell you why. Because they're going to change the logo everywhere. Think about it. In all the buildings, the logo has to be changed. All of the sort of signage that they have, like we have around here for Talk Radio, it all has to be changed. All of the stationery has to be changed. All uh, of the marketing materials have to be changed. Everything that they do has to be updated. And it could be a flag even that has to be changed. All sorts of things have to be changed. That's why, for you and for me, the cost to the taxpayer of changing BBC One on a red background with white writing to BBC One on a red background with white writing, 20 million. Brilliant. <laughs> It's almost as if they're running the government. Let's talk to Graham Littlejohn because uh, coming up next week, uh, next week, Wednesday, I believe, a week from now, uh, Rishi Sunak's going to be doing his autumn statement. And there is a great fear amongst those of us uh, who like a drink and those of us who run uh, companies in the drinks uh, market that there's going to be le yet more tax put on. Uh, let's find out what Graham wants to say. Graham, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Thanks for having me, mate. Not at all, not at all. Now, how is the Scotch whisky business doing these days? Because I imagine that uh, during lockdown... Uh, people were probably drinking quite a lot. The the last eighteen months has been really tough for the Scotch whisky industry mm. uh, as a as a global product. Exports obviously fell away uh, last year. They're now uh, they fell by twenty three percent. In fact, in twenty twenty, that's over a billion pounds worth of Scotch whisky, which was lost in trade last year. But the industry is now bouncing bouncing back internationally. Domestically, however, there are a, a number of pressures which the the Scotch whisky industry and the alcohol industry in general are facing: rising inflation, uh, difficulty in getting inputs into factories and mm. distilleries, um, and and the cost of consumers continues to go up. And that's the the fear of of the industry next week that the Chancellor is going to put more taxation onto Scotch whisky. Already, consumers are paying three pounds in every four pounds. Uh, that goes uh, that is spent on Scotch whisky goes directly to the Chancellor already, and that could further increase next week. We don't want to see that. We want to see a freeze on duty next week, and that will help consumers who are struggling with mm. the cost of living right now. Right. And how is the supply chain business treating you guys, Graham? Because we hear all the time that there's a, a, a sort of you know a problem with moving things around, certainly in the UK, but also around the world as well. Uh, is that affecting you? There are, there are undoubtedly still challenges in the, the UK supply chain. Uh, distilleries are finding it difficult getting packaging and glass into, into sites. We're also uh, finding it difficult getting final product out of sites to ports to get it around the world. Uh, these are ongoing issues. And the trade, work, global trade, has not yet got back to normal post the pandemic. It is still finding its feet again. And that's why the industry, uh, which is based in Scotland and has a UK-wide supply chain, which... Uh, uh, which supports over 42,000 jobs across the UK, needs a bit more support from the Chancellor next week. Mm. And, you know, putting taxes up at this time is not good for business and it's not good for consumers who are still recovering from the impacts of COVID. Yeah, I mean, we're hearing that beer is likely to rise uh, by 30p a pint. Um, so I suppose there would be those in the beer industry who would say, well, why are we having to bear the brunt of it? Why doesn't everybody else have to pay their share? I think the the alcohol industry. I mean, not in general, that I'm in favour of any tax rises, by the way. Before you, uh, before you think, get that impression. I, I wouldn't think so, Mike. But I, I think uh, on beer, on on Scotch whisky, on other spirits, you know, we need to. We're already taxed very heavily. I yeah. mean, the, the the beer industry is taxed very heavily. If you look at other uh, countries across the. Uh, the, the European Union, if you look at the G7, I heard Quasi Quartang on the news just then comparing the UK economy to the G7. If you look at the uh, G7 it's taxation on spirits, including Scotch whisky, the UK is the highest by far across the, the G7. We are not competitive when it comes to how we tax our Scotch whisky in this country. Mm. And levying further taxation on beer, on uh, Scotch whisky next week would not be a good thing for the economy. We need to see a freeze uh, on, on alcohol duty next week. Yeah. And is the, the industry generally speaking um, okay in Scotland I mean we've seen obviously in different parts of uh, the economy smaller companies uh, sometimes being a little bit more um, 
in sort of I suppose agile at kind of turning things around and you know doing other things to make money when the the main business isn't going so well. Um, but a lot of other smaller companies just haven't survived in, in other industries. How you know because what you don't want is a, is an industry in, in, in whiskey where, for example, it's just the big multinationals that run everything. The, the Scotch whisky industry is pretty diverse. Uh, the Scotch Whisky uh, Association we now have eighty two member companies, and a lot of them are. Uh, small, single-brand, uh, family-run operations, mm. uh, and and they have struggled over the course of the pandemic. You wouldn't expect me to say say otherwise. But the Scottish whisky industry is quite flexible. They've adapted to doing online tastings. Right. They've adapted to how they get product out to consumers around the world. But all they are asking, and all I think small businesses across the country are asking for, is a little bit of support, a little break right now as they're trying mm. to get back on their feet. We're not asking for a cut in taxation. You know, we're we're just asking for the status quo and. I don't think that's too much to ask for in the current climate. And has the uh, slightly different sort of regulatory um, environment in Scotland been a problem for the business? Because obviously there are different rules around what you can do in Scotland as opposed to what you can do in other parts of the UK. Has that been an issue? I think hospitality across the board in Scotland or across the rest of the UK is is getting back on its feet. You know, people are able to go back into bars, pubs, and restaurants again and enjoy a, a Scotch whisky cocktail or enjoy a pint of beer, and that's a good thing. That's what we missed last year. Not only because it's good for uh, my industry to, to see people in, enjoying Scotch whisky responsibly uh, in those settings, um, but it's also good for us to get back together and enjoy uh, what we missed in, in those social settings last year. Yes, no, absolutely right. Well, Graham, let's hope that uh, your wish uh, turns out to be the truth next week uh, when Rishi Sunak stands up at the dispatch box. Graham Littlejohn, Director of Strategy and Communications at the Scotch Whiskey Association, hopeful that there will be a freeze on tax uh, for whiskey uh, and all other spirits, of course, as well. We are hearing uh, that somehow the beer business is going to be punished, though, that beer is going to be priced uh, higher, 30 pence on a pint of beer, which is quite a lot uh, in some parts of this country, I have to say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk about another TV channel, which is, of course, the BBC. Uh, You might remember just a few months ago, we were talking about how the BBC had decided uh, to change their logo uh, because apparently some people had written to them to say it looks a bit old fashioned. So the BBC, the multi-billion pound organisation that employs thousands and thousands and thousands of people, uh, which is constantly rearranging the way that it does programming, the way that it commissions programmes, the way that it pays people, uh, the way that it decides what it is that it's for. You know, the BBC is the least trusted news organisation in this entire nation, right? I think only 6% of people trust what the BBC does. But instead of trying to get that trust back, instead of trying to actually make the organisation a better organisation, instead of employing more people from the streets as opposed to from the universities of our towns and our cities, right? The BBC's decided they've got to spend a couple of million quid redesigning their logo so that it looks slightly different, right? They've now got all these other logos for the iPlayer, for sounds, for sport, for news, for weather. The weather inexplicably looks like uh, the bottom end of a, of a mill, some kind of water mill wheel or something. I don't know what they're doing. Nobody knows what they're for now, the B. What is the BBC for? You know, I say get rid of it, cancel your uh, license fee, cancel your subscription to everything that they do. Tell them that you might wish to pay for bits of it if you want bits of it, but you don't wish to pay for the fat salaries and the bloated organisation and the ridiculous management that these people do. They have changed a logo with BBC One on it. Two, a logo with BBC One on it, which doesn't look much different, but it's cost them a couple of million quid. I could have done it for you for nothing, literally nothing, because that is now what the BBC is worth. It's actually worth nothing. I don't know what they're for. I don't know what they're doing. And I really, really wish that they would stop forcing their political agendas down everybody's throat. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, That was a party political broadcast on behalf of the home of Common Sense Talk Radio, which you don't have to pay for, which you are able to listen to for free and watch for free. I don't know why anybody would bother paying a licence fee anymore, quite frankly. It's an absolute shambles. Now, coming up in the next hour, Tonya Buxton will be here. She's got lots to say. She's got plenty to say, of course, about that ridiculous scene yesterday in Parliament where they were all laughing about the Coronavirus Emergency Powers Act. They decided not to bother voting on it at all. I mean, why bother voting on anything? Just decide what you want to do. Tell the people of the country how to behave. Make sure that they wear the proper clothing when they go out, whether it's a mask over the face or a hood over your head uh, or a pair of shorts or a pair of sneakers. 
Make sure you've got a green heat pump in your house, otherwise we won't be able to give you a mortgage, or you might have to pay more council tax. Are we really living in this country anymore? Is this still Britain? This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.